0: Hello and welcome to Screen Cleaning, the show that is all about shining a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Bissinger. And we're here each and every week on BYU Radio. Check us out on the podcast. You can just Google Screen Cleaning Podcast, and there you'll find well over 100 episodes that we've produced here in house and uh, just filled with nothing but the best of entertainment. All sorts of different categories with movies, TV, sports. Other forms of entertainment. Whatever
1: Jeff and I decided to talk about that week. Podcasts are commercial-free. It's so nice. Just last night, I was catching up on some things, preparing for this show, and I had to go stream something that had commercials in it, and I forgot how annoying that is. That's strange. I got really used to just, you know, blending right through that. Yeah. Podcasts also commercial for Screen cleaning. Commercial-free on the podcast.
0: And we're excited about today's show because it's no secret that this last year, we won't say which year The year that shall not be named uh, was a difficult year for so many people.
1: It's starting to bleed into 2021. The first (laughs) week has felt like a year all on its own, huh?
0: But we're not going to focus on that aspect. We're going to focus on some of our favorite things from the year in question here. (laughs) And I'm sure at some point we're going to have to say the year that we're talking about. Let's
1: just. Let's try not to. Okay.
0: All right. That'll be fun. Right. Um but it's been an interesting year for movies, TV, other forms of entertainment, really anything that would, you know, have people meet in a public place because of another virus that shall be unnamed.
1: And and the impact is going <laughs> to stretch into the coming years too because not only did we postpone a lot of movies that we wanted to see and that were on our like most anticipated list that we made this time last year right at the beginning of that year but now because production was delayed for a lot of new movies the 2021 and 2022 and 2023 slates are all being affected even like the marvel cinematic universe my favorite part of any year it seems like they had to adjust because they're so interconnected they can't just show you one before another because the story needs to go forward so we just kind of pushed it all back.
0: And it's not even just the schedule that's being affected. I mean, the way that movies and television shows and music videos and commercials are being made, that's all affected. The way that we consume those various entities is being affected. And even the way that these deals between production companies and movie makers are being made, even that's being affected. I mean, we've talked about HBO max and their plans for this year. And, uh, A lot of people aren't thrilled about that.
1: So let's talk about one of HBO slash Warner Brothers slash Turner, whoever is the top company of all of those holdings. Uh, Their biggest movie of the past year did come out right at the tail end, right in time for Christmas for folks to talk about. Jeff, we haven't reviewed it yet. Let's talk about the simultaneous theater and HBO Max release, Wonder Woman 1984. You know, it's interesting
0: because this is one of many 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 films that went through a lot of different scheduling changes and you know, they always promised that it was going to come out in 2020 and you'd see it on the big screen and it they did delivered. it did happen mm-hmm. but it was also a simultaneous release on HBO Max as you said. Uh, This is a this was one of the long anticipated movies. And if you go back and listen to one of our previous shows about what the big box office earners would have been in this last year, uh, you would have heard that Wonder Woman 84 was at the top of our lists, either one or two
1: predicted for what we thought would have happened in, in
0: a, an alternate universe in an alternate universe where we got
1: all those 2020 one of our more imaginative shows i think Jeffrey. oh
0: yeah it was a fun show and you know speaking of alternate universes and cheating death and you know body swapping things like that those oh that's are all, the
1: plot of wonder woman 1984
0: <laughs> basically well and then there's the uh, wish fulfillment that we can talk about here in just a minute but uh Wonder Woman is still, you know, depressed, reeling from the death of Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine in the original film, right? Yes. And so she's kind of going around helping people in any way that she can. She's not really saving the world, she's kind of just saving mall uh, <laughs> attendees from people that are robbing a. You know, a jewelry store, Wonder
1: Woman is one of the most powerful beings in D.C. Dom, and she is spending her 80s just kind of being the friendly neighborhood Wonder Woman, plopping and busting some like shoplifters.
0: Right. And, you know, she's destined for greater things. And so there's got to be more than that to her life. And she gets greater things in in the form of a couple of really big events in her life. But it all starts with this pesky little relic that comes on her desk that uh, has the ability to fulfill any wish that you make. You get one wish, so you got to make a wise choice, right? Unless
1: you get two, which we'll which get two. They, Yeah, I
0: mean, they make a big point of saying you only get one, and then some people get two or three, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But no big surprise. The big wish that she makes is to have Chris Pine back alive with her and he is magically but the strange thing is that he's in somebody else's body so there's some body swapping involved so there are some limitations you can't really bring somebody back from the dead but apparently you can have them you know uh, possess somebody else it's best if you don't just don't ask too many questions right cole
1: Yeah, that sort of goes for the rest of the movie, too, because as we get into the complications of The Wish, we get Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord, who is an actual character in DC Comics and an actual villain of Wonder Woman. Uh, to my knowledge, to, to my comic book collection and and TV watching and cartoon watching, he could never do things like this. He His whole goal here, he's just a slimy 80s businessman, and that's all played really, really well. Uh, he finds this wishing stone, and his wish is to become the wishing stone, and so it kind of dissolves in his hand, and now people, instead of touching the stone, have to hold his hand, to touch him, to make their one wish, and... Uh, He takes something back in return, which, again, those rules are kind of nebulous, but just go with it. (laughs) Exactly.
0: And, I, you know, it's not even really clear why, you know, having people make wishes makes his health deteriorate like crazy. Um,
1: I I think his health was already deteriorating. I think he was trying to do this to get better. So, like, the thing he specifically takes back after each person makes a wish is – some of their health. Anyway,
0: let's let's not focus on, you know, minor details like this, Cole, because yeah. there's also Cheetah, another Wonder Woman villain. And you're favorite, you by the way. Weird you just tagged right?
1: that on at the end, kind of like they did in this movie. <laughs> Cheetah is, in all accounts, Wonder Woman's main adversary right someone that can match her blow for blow um that is with her for for some of the longest in the comic book run always makes appearances on things like challenge of the super friends and in the justice league cartoon when i think wonder woman her her you know batman's got a whole rogues gallery flash but the joker
0: a ton of yeah.
1: ton of villains but wonder woman like has cheetah for sure and kristen Wiig. I liked like there are some things to say about the performance. She sometimes goes into like SNL version of what Cheetah might be, and that's oh, fine. Yeah, like that's like who she is. Awkward. Oh, mm, huh, huh. I was you know. fine with all of that. I liked the performance. <laughs> I wanted more of it. I wanted Cheetah to be the main villain. We got one big, we got kind of one and a half big fights between Wonder Woman and Cheetah, and they never really go blow for blow with good like fight choreography. The the one fight we get in the in the White House, it's just Cheetah punching civilians and Wonder Woman trying to save the civilians. And then later on, it's really dark and rainy and super CGI flying aroundness yes. in their other fight, and that didn't look good either. I'm watching a superhero movie. I kind of wanted to see superheroes and supervillains punch each other a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what do we? How do we even wrap this up, Cole? It's difficult to really categorize. Well, the
1: the plot, which is what we've talked about so far, I thought was pretty bad. But the moments that we had along the way were amazing. I I smiled bigger, and, and it could just be the effect of being in a theater after the long year that shall not be named. But I when 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 uh Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor took off in the invisible jet and we got that payoff for the first time and when they were flying through those fireworks i had a bigger smile on my face than i can remember in a movie theater in years i just seeing that come to life patty jenkins uh, right her direction I, I don't know like these kind of comic book things have a lot of story writers that are credited and it goes through a lot of hands but actually like the filmmaking part looked really, really good at times and had some of the highlight moments of of the whole year on film for me. It's just like the structure that it was put in, was too much of a mess for me to, like, really give myself over to loving every second of it. Sure. But, yeah, seeing Gal Gadot and uh, Chris Pine interact again and, and kind of flipping what they had before, right? In the first one, she's the fish out of water, sure. and he's showing her around man's world. And here, she's lived in the world for a while. She's in the 80s, and she gets to show him around the 80s after a 70-year time jump that he has. To, so it's a whole new world for him. Yeah. A lot of real cool moments, a lot of cool choices but they couldn't make up for the fact that, like, Maxwell Lord and his, like, wishing superpower thing, it just – they they never had a track of what that power really did or was.
0: I I kind of enjoyed it. You know, I didn't think about it as much as so many people online have thought about it and are complaining about it. So I think if you can just turn off your your uh, your brain just a little bit, you'll enjoy it. I will say I guess the moral of the story is – be content with what you have and or go out and make something of your life. You know, don't look to the past. Maybe
1: make your own wish. Like yeah. a, a lesson that can be taken from a lot of wishing kind of movies is you don't need to wish upon it. You can make your own wishes come true and make the most of the life sure. you have.
0: I did. I did read that Gal Gadot's uh, two daughters were in the movie, which was fun as Patty Jenkins son was in the movie as well. I, it did, you know, as we've been talking about this, I did realize that, you know, maybe it's time to be done poking fun at the 80s. Because I feel like a lot of the humor in the movie was like, hey, look at these silly clothes we used to wear in the 80s. Isn't
1: that funny? I mean, that scene was in the trailer, too. Sure. That's just, it didn't, we didn't belabor it. It just, we hit it, we moved on. See, I liked it. a
0: clever, a more clever way of doing kind of an 80s, 90s jab is what I thought uh, Captain Marvel did where she crash lands in a blockbuster video. (laughs) That, like, single image was enough to elicit laughs from the entire theater. So
1: I think there are clever ways of doing it. as easy as having Chris Pine wear a fanny pack for the entire— No,
0: because you don't call as much attention to it. You don't be like, oh, parachute pants? Are people parachuting now? You know? Anyway— I, think, They're the I same. think it's time. I actually like the 80s. I would have loved to have gone to high school in the 80s. Uh, maybe I would feel differently if I lived through the 80s, but
1: we're in the 2020s decade now. Uh retro and nostalgia and throwbacks are going to be creeping into the 90s very soon. Oh, I know. We are I mean Stranger Things has been going on for like 5 years now even though we only have uh, three seasons of it. Uh, and so that's kind of the last big 80s nostalgia boom we're going to hit. If if the cycles are to prove and, and come out, the 90s are the next thing on the, on the chopping block here.
0: You know, speaking of nostalgia, uh, my daughters received from Santa Claus, they received Polaroid cameras. You know, these are back and you can... Yep. They were super excited about it. The Polaroid film paper is super expensive, but that's what they got on Christmas. They were so excited about it. And something else that happened on Christmas that my kids said, oh, we've got to do this. They really wanted to watch the movie Soul, which was released on Disney+. Disney Plus. Plus. That wasn't the plan. I think it was going to be in the summer, and then it got pushed to November, and then they said, Merry Christmas, everybody. Everybody who subscribes to Disney+, Plus can have it. You don't even have to pay the premium price that we made everybody pay for Mulan. I'm wondering if they kind of quickly abandoned that idea because Mulan shortly thereafter became available on Disney+, Plus. but they haven't released anything else on Disney Plus Premium.
1: Yeah, so Mulan came out earlier in the year, and then in December is when it kind of became available for everyone. So if you have a Disney Plus subscription and you remember us telling you, hey, don't pay yet, just kind of wait for Mulan. If you haven't gotten around to seeing Mulan yet, Go ahead and watch it. It's free now with your with your subscription.
0: And so is
1: Soul. And so is Soul. And
0: Soul, I am going to say is much better than Mulan was. And I think a lot of people are Thinking it's one of the best Pixar movies made. Cole, you've got strong feelings about it. I know that.
1: Jeff, this is the time for us to now transition and kind of hit two birds with one single stone. We're also going to talk about our top five and eventually bottom five movies of this past year. And let's start that conversation with Soul Because Soul was my favorite movie that I've seen so far, released in 2020. Really? That's
0: saying quite a lot, Cole. Well, Well, it's it's not not saying as much as (laughs) it normally does
1: during the course of a whole year, but I loved Soul. It, from the opening strains, right? Disney does a really fun job of making the the Disney Castle the do 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 sure. unique to every single different movie. Uh, and oh, this one was great for Soul. It's this high school band, and it transitions right into that first scene of our protagonist Joe, just you know, teaching high school band and having them be sounding like a high school jazz band, not uh, not professional quality. From that moment on, remembering back when I was in high school jazz band, throughout this whole movie, I loved every single beat.
0: Soul is certainly going to make my list of top five for the year that shall not be named. Um, I, I will say I couldn't shake the feeling that I got while watching it. that I was watching a hybrid of Inside Out and Coco. And the way I described it, that's a, the way I described it to a friend. And I said, I remember enjoying Inside Out and especially Coco more than I enjoyed Soul.
1: And, and I get those comparisons. Mm-hmm. And for, for me, and this is where we, we each bring in our own individual perspective. There, there was nothing like I can't point to a specific story choice where Soul did it better than Inside Out. But I just know in my gut and in my heart that Soul spoke to me better than those two movies did. Like I, I saw when whenever I was watching Inside Out, everyone talked it up, and and I just didn't come out loving it. And Coco the same way. Like it's a good movie, but it didn't speak to me. And then hmm. I watched Soul, and I was like, Oh, this is doing like some of those same things. It's hitting some of the same beats. It has like similar characters. But I get it now. Like this one this one speaks to me. This is my version. So like when everyone came out of Inside Out Lauding It is the like Pixar's back and they they're still making the, the best thing that animation has. And I was like, eh, now I get it. Now I know the way they felt because I've been able to feel that way watching Soul.
0: Sure. So in Soul you have this aspiring jazz musician who's kind of relegated to, as you said, Teaching junior high or high school kids how to how to play musical instruments, not loving it, but he's trying to put on a good face. And he gets a call from a former student who's giving him an amazing opportunity to play with this prominent jazz musician at a nightclub. But he's got to be there that night. He's got to dress in his best. And when he shows up, he he is cocky and he's full of confidence. And the musician in question says, well, we'll see. They get him on stage. Musician he's in play- question,
1: by the way, voiced by Angela Bassett. Yes. And then his love old it. his old student, voiced by Questlove, who's the drummer in Jimmy Fallon's band. Love it. So um shows up, he plays
0: so well that he's kind of in his own little world and he's playing for himself, not for anybody else in the world. And people are their their jaws are on the on the floor. And so he's invited to be a part of this band. uh, He got
1: his big break.
0: But it's going to be that night. And unfortunately, before that night arrives, he happens to fall down a manhole and And into a coma. (laughs) 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 Oh, coma slash dies. He's, He's kind of on his way to dying. And he decides, you know, I'm not ready to die yet. And so he's kind of in this limbo area where... He's, he's not dead, but he's not alive, and he's doing everything that he can to get back to Earth. And he sees his ticket of getting back to Earth in the form of Tina Fey's character, who is a soul that has just refused to go to Earth, is afraid of getting a body and experiencing life. And so they strike up a deal that he's going to mentor her, tell her all about life, and when she has all of her life experiences, all, all of these little all of these little attributes, characteristics that would qualify her to get in the boxes, theoretically, right, then she will give him her past to go to Earth so that he can get back in time to play this concert.
1: And then it seems like we're going to spend like our whole movie here in the afterlife or before life or just not. Life, and then they end up falling back down into Earth. Except Joe ends up in the body of a cat. So another body swapping movie on his lap in the hospital, and Tina Fey's <laughs> soul ends up in Joe Gardner, like his body. And so they're still on this time crunch of knowing, like, we have to get back to the gig by this time tonight. You know, and they they need to be helped along the way to switch their bodies back. And and it, Joe learns to to kind of not be so myopic in his view of the world, right? Mm -hmm. He, he knows that his purpose in life is just to play jazz music. And over the course of seeing Tina Fey become less cynical about life in general and seeing some of just the simple beauties of the world, he realizes that life is so much more than just one thing that you pour yourself into. And you're going to miss many moments along the way. And sometimes it takes an innocent outside viewer to point out to us, Hey, Hey, Every single moment can be awesome if you just let yourself enjoy it.
0: Right. If you are so single minded in your approach to life, you're going to miss out on so many of the beauties of this world and of life in general, just like you said, Cole. And that entails not only the good things that happen in life, but the bad things that happen in life. You kind of need to experience all of that to really have that full rich beautiful experience
1: it really it really was when i was done i cried multiple times it's a pixar movie and and of course you're going to cry but less so again it gets the comparisons to inside out and for me it's a positive comparison because when when we get that scene with bing bong and inside out like that's them telling you and forcing you to cry like i cried i certainly cried but like I don't like being told to cry, whereas just there were so many moments that just crept up on you in this movie that seemed to happen more naturally where I shed a tear. So
0: definitely one to see. I I will say it's my favorite – I don't even want to say children's movie, but it's my favorite animated movie of the year by far. It's
1: my favorite movie, period. Highest recommendation I can give to Soul.
0: Okay. Cole, I am going to say that my favorite movie of the year that shall not be named uh, is a movie that we can't in full good conscience recommend on the show unless you can edit it in some way.
1: Soul, fun for the whole family, but the horror thriller universal throwback that came out in theaters from early in the year, not so much.
0: We are talking about, of course, The Invisible Man. A lot of these horror movies have an analogy or some political or social social message at their at its heart.
1: The monster is never just about the monster, folks.
0: But this one in particular, I feel, was extremely timely. And yeah, like I felt like you really sympathize more with women as you watch this movie, because you have this woman who's in an abusive relationship that at the very beginning escapes from it. And she finds out very quickly, shortly after her escape, her boyfriend and or husband, I'm not sure which one he is, he dies. We're led to believe that he commits suicide. And yet she can't shake this suspicion that he's still around her and he's haunting her, maybe. Which sounds crazy,
1: except she's right.
0: Because he's this really smart but sleazy scientist who maybe has figured out a way to make himself invisible. And so when she tries to tell other people about this, it's kind of like Dr. Evil doing the blank stare and saying, right. So they don't believe her, which again, when women lately in the news have been saying somebody has done something to me in my past, a lot of people just don't believe them. And you get a sense for how frustrating that can be and how dangerous that can be, especially in this movie. It is such a thrilling movie. I was terrified. I mean, usually in a thriller, you're you're in suspense. But there were moments of terror where I, I jumped in my seat. There was one scene in particular in this movie. We won't discuss it in detail. But I can't remember the last time in a movie where I was shocked. There was a scene in this movie that shocked me. You will not believe it, and it will just—it will really rip the heart right out of your chest because it's like, what just happened? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's safe to say it's,
1: it's a bold choice. Every single choice along the way was made with with great intention. Lee Wanell is is a, a horror veteran, and I I love that Universal now is dipping their toes back in their pool of monsters but in a horror way. When they made Tom Cruise's The Mummy, they wanted to create this dark universe. They wanted to bring back all of their monsters, but they wanted to do it in a really marketable action, you know, billion-dollar franchise kind of way. Invisible Man made less money than that, but guess what? It was actually a good horror movie, and so it is going to spawn sequels and hopefully some interconnection in the future done the right way, Universal. It took you a little bit, But I think our dark universe might be coming back in a great way.
0: Whoa, gosh. If they can be as good as this, I'm on board. And, you know, if they're smart, they'll have Lee L be like an executive producer of all of them. You know, just like Kevin
1: Feige of.
0: Or like the J.J. Abrams in the Mission Impossible movies, you know. So, yeah, he's one of the producers, as is Tom Cruise.
1: I mean, yeah, but it's not like J.J. J.J. Abrams is not to. He's not the guy for Mission Impossible the way that
0: Tom Cruise is. Tom Cruise is. I'm yeah. just saying. And Chris McQuarrie,
1: the... like he's that's the team that's really sure. made Mission Impossible good. Get recently. the right
0: people together, even if they're just giving input and kind of overseeing some things, then uh, you got a good franchise on your hands. What, I got what?
1: to see, I got to see a PG-13 horror <gasps> that I always look for. in, really? in the year. And it is it is small, and it is it takes its time, and it's called the Vast of Night, available on Amazon. Prime. I did see that. Yeah this this makes it into my favorite movies of the entire year because it was a different kind of movie. I, I listen to a lot of narrative podcasts that kind of frame themselves of you know this is happening over the course of a night, and we're recording it as we go, and it felt yeah. like for the first time ever. I mean, I've seen podcasts that were successful make the transition to the big screen but this felt like i was watching one of those except it was designed from the beginning as a movie and it just i think worked so well like putting us in the same world you know where it's back in 1950s america just simple small town you know it, it builds its scene and it has great dialogue between our main two characters oh yeah as we go along the journey of them Going from a very normal night where they're just going to their night shift jobs as a as a telephone board operator or a radio DJ, you know, manning, manning, you know, holding down the fort while everyone else is busy to discovering that there's a more in this town than at first meet the eye.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as you're saying that, I think Aaron Sorkin would be proud of the filmmakers of this movie because they really mastered the walk and talk and the quick snappy dialogue. And the acting was was great. I mean, it's it's difficult to not only walk and talk and perform all these other tasks while you're trying to remember dialogue, but then to deliver that dialogue in a natural, realistic way is it takes a lot of talent and This movie is filled with a bunch of people that you're not going to be very familiar with, but they really ought to be uh, more prominent because they were just terrific in that movie. I do remember seeing that.
1: It was a micro budget. And the director, I I love like reading interviews about directors, especially with their first work, um, which this was. Andrew Patterson said afterwards, um, you'll notice it never actually says, like, a film by Andrew Patterson, right? When I watched Duff Five Bloods by Spike Lee, it says, a Spike Lee joint. Like, you can't sure. get away from it, right? It never even says, directed by him. And the reason why, I got a quote from him, it says he was literally the one typing out with his own fingers the credits right because it's such like it was a private like it's his first movie sure such a micro budget and it felt pretentious for some reason to write quote directed by andrew patterson (laughs) and it just like put yourself in that right you've just made your first ever movie you're typing out everyone's names that was involved in it because the credits have to be typed by someone but because of the situation we were in it was just happened to be done by the director he's so he felt weird like typing his (laughs) own name i love that story i love first time and yeah, this wasn't a perfect movie, but I f- it feels like Andrew Patterson, like 10 years from now, will have directed what is going to be like one of my favorite movies ever. You oh, can sure. You see that yeah, vision. Yeah, yeah,
0: he's got it. And he's got it. I loved the Twilight Zone-type framing device they had going on, too. That was pretty cool.
1: From the beginning, this was made for me, specifically.
0: Yeah. So, Cole, I know that you watched a Tom Hanks movie on Apple TV Plus that you raved about, which I still have not seen. So if you're going to talk about that, you can talk about that in just a minute. But I did see another Tom Hanks movie that was released theatrically that I saw called News of the World. And this is a Civil War vet who goes around reading newspapers in various towns throughout the country. These are people that either cannot read or don't have time to read or don't have access to the news of the world. And so he goes and in very much a, you know, presentation, Mark Twain reading type of a way, he goes and shares the news. But he's also a great storyteller. He's a he's a bit of a showman in his uh, presentation.
1: Not the greatest showman. No. Just a showman. At the beginning,
0: it's really kind of just his job and, you know, it kind of feels like he's going through the motions. But throughout the movie, there are certain uh, events that happen and people that come into his life that make it so that he really becomes passionate about doing this. He's estranged from his wife and as he is going from town to town... He comes across this abandoned girl who it, it appears that she's German because of her name. He looks up her papers and her name is Johanna. However, she only seems to be speaking in this Native American dialect, which he, of course, cannot understand. And so he tries to take her to the... Uh, You know, the union representatives that have kind of occupied the various territories that he visits, they don't really have any plans for what to do with her. He's like, she's your problem, basically. So he decides that he can't in good conscience just leave her uh, or abandon her. So he starts taking her with him to he he knows that, that she has family in another state that he can drop her off with. Right. And so. Everybody along the way is telling him, are you sure you want to do this? Because this is dangerous territory that you're going to be traversing through or traversing. And uh, he decides to do it anyway. And you can't help but think of older Jimmy Stewart appearing in a lot of those Western movies. You know, the everyman that everybody's always comparing Tom Hanks to anyway. And uh, there are some really tense moments in the movie. And you're but really in any movie about relationships the relationship is what's at the heart of this edge of your seat slow moving drama um, and so you just really fall in love with the characters and you root for them news of the world pg-13 it's directed by paul greengrass who did captain phillips also with tom hanks as well as you know a few of the bourne movies definitely one worth seeing it's a slower thriller but uh one that you'll enjoy nonetheless
1: Tom Hanks uh, a lot of times ends up playing Tom Hanks, and the movie that you were referencing does land in my top five. I'm talking about Greyhound, where he plays such a subtle and drawn back version of Tom Hanks. Right, he's this his he's a battleship captain in the middle of trying to escort someone during some war. It, it, <laughs> (laughs) The plot of this one more so than I think anything else that I'm going to talk about is not important because edge of your seat action is what this one does. And it does it to such a small degree, right? The CGI of like the fake water and the boats going across the Atlantic that I believe that they're crossing um, isn't as important as how the momentum swings, right? Every time we think that we can catch our breath in this movie, that they've just gotten through this one giant conflict, something else comes up, right? As Americans, we're very used to a three-act structure, right? We're setting something up, we're having a main conflict, and then we get a little bit of relief. And this movie does this, like, five different many times. As soon as you think you're getting relief, we have another big conflict. And because it doesn't, like, behold itself to... One thing that they're going for, you never get a sense of when it's gonna finally be over and we can sit down and relax. And Tom Hanks Mm. drives this momentum with his acting and and with. Because he is the captain that won't take a break either, as we're kind of being drugged through the mud of this movie. Um, It's war conflict, right? Not normally my thing. But because it's not so much about the characters going through the war or what the big war means. It's more about the energy that a war can take out of you Mm. personified in this captain that refuses to leave the ship until the mission is completed. And so it's over the course of a little over 24 hours where he's just up on his feet, commanding his troops to make sure that they make it from one side to the other. And eventually they make it. And you can finally take a breath.
0: The screenplay was written by Tom Hanks as well.
1: And there's, and there's not much to the screenplay, right? <laughs> um, my last pick in my top five, you, you mentioned Aaron Sorkin kind of dialogue in sure. The Best of Night. And it is an Aaron Sorkin movie and the ah. opposite of Greyhound that that rounds out my five. And it's The Trial of the Chicago 7, directed and, of course, written by Aaron Sorkin.
0: Yeah. And that's got a pretty eclectic
1: cast there, right? Sasha Baron Cohen, I think, is the highlight of it, right? If someone is going to get the supporting actor nomination for our Oscars that are put off because of the year that it was, it is going to be Sasha Baron Cohen. But Eddie Redmayne and Mark Rylance, a veteran of two you know, Oscar winners. Yep. Um, they're pulling their weight. Frank Langella is the, the judge that is our antagonist through the entire thing. Uh, everyone does something. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt, as a somewhat sympathetic prosecutor, that's On the wrong side of history, but does it in a, like, honorable way, I suppose. Sure. It's the story, it's the real-life story of eight gentlemen that were part of a— Protest that turned into a riot. Another timely story for our time. But back in 1968, uh, when Hubert Humphrey was going to get the the Democratic nomination to go up against Richard Nixon in the upcoming presidential election, they went the this group of people and a lot of others ended up going to Chicago to protest that because they wanted someone a little bit more left leaning to be the Democratic nomination things got violent and they were prosecuted. And so it's it's back to Sorkin's roots of just being able to be a courtroom drama. But it's shot more imaginatively and it's it's got some pace to it where we're just bouncing from the different groups that end up making up the, the eight gentlemen that end up on trial and then eventually down to seven that it makes fun choices. Because when I first watched A Few Good Men, which is like the Sorkin courtroom drama... It just felt like a TV show. Like, I'd seen Matlock before. I'd seen Columbo. And it had better dialogue, but it was just shot like a courtroom drama. Mm. This one, it feels like Sorkin has evolved a little bit, and he's now, like, the director that is going to make this look the way that his dialogue sounds. Sure. And I I loved every second of it. This one uh, rated R for a lot of language. Uh, And, of course, some real life historical violence that occurred that it shows on screen. But I think worth a watch for for older teenagers that want to get some perspective for how protests are done today in Mm. our world. Um, This is not a new thing. And this is an America that we've lived in for a long time.
0: You know, um, I've got a couple of picks left. I'm going to save one of them for the next segment because uh, it's it's going to surprise you what it is. But. One of my picks that has a government tie-in to it is one that I could not stop watching. I was captivated from the very beginning to the very end of this movie. And it was a documentary also on Apple TV Plus called Boys State, where you have this uh, this event where these over a thousand boys get together in this city in Texas – and they basically put on a mock government. You have people running for various offices, and you have elections, and you have platforms that you're running on, and you garner support and get constituents, and there's even a talent show. They really find ways to involve each and every one of the boys that comes to this camp. And it's over a week-long period, and you really start to root for certain performers in this movie and you really start to you clench your teeth at others in it, which you have to take any documentary with a grain of salt because it's it's storytelling just like any other movie where the editor kind of determines how you feel about these various characters. Right. Of, you know, over this week long period, you know that the filmmakers had several cameras on various actors throughout the whole week filming their every move, capturing every word that they say, and this is what they chose to put into the movie. So they spun it the way they wanted it to go. So you have to keep that in mind. But even if you do have that at the back of your mind, you are going to be captivated by Boy State. It's PG-13, and it's really great because in some ways, it kind of restores your faith in government, and in some ways, it may uh, confirm some of the feelings that you've had about government all along but I thought it was a little bit uplifting at the end certainly one to check out and Cole as I said I will reveal my fifth pick for our next segment we've had a wonderful time sharing our favorite movies from the year that shall not be named but just as we had some favorites we're going to have some not so favorites and we'll tell you about them when we return this is screen cleaning today started out as the best day of my life back here tonight first shows at seven
1: yes Woohoo! you know what that's gonna say joe gardner <laughs> i did it i got the gig must have been sudden for you
0: favorite song from my favorite soundtrack of the movie or the year that we uh, shall not name on this show. You almost said it, Jeff. You caught yourself. That is from Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. We are sharing our biggest surprise-liked movies from this year, and that one would certainly be mine, and it actually rounds out my top 5 favorite from that year
1: Eurovision the yes. Rachel McAdams Will Ferrell kind of musical kind of parody
0: it's you feel like you're watching an Adam Sandler movie the whole time because you're feel you're thinking That's even worse. So So something
1: that reminds you of an Adam Sandler movie was in your top five of the year. No, because there are movies that come out at the
0: perfect time and you realize this is exactly what I need in my life right now. And when we sat down to watch it for the first time, my wife and I decided we just need a dumb, stupid, fun movie. And that's exactly what we got.
1: It's funny. The the movie that kind of captured my quarantine and that I was surprised that I liked uh, might transition us into your disappointed because I loved Trolls World Tour, the sequel to Trolls, <laughs> also a musical and also a story that I think captured the right thing at the right time.
0: The the first Trolls surprised me when I saw it and I loved it. Not so much with Trolls World Tour.
1: I very much enjoyed it, but if we're going to be surprised in a good way, we're going to be surprised in a bad way too. What were you disappointed by in the past year?
0: You know, when you have a movie franchise that hasn 't had an installment for several decades you're you're going to be on pins and needles wondering are they going to be able to pull this off and Unfortunately, for me, Bill and Ted faced the music they were not able to pull it off the, i I wanted I was rooting for the movie to just give me one laugh, something for me to find humorous or to enjoy. They even had characters that came back and reprised their roles. And I just couldn't find myself to laugh at this movie. And uh, it really made me pine for the other movies. And oh, what I told you at the time was all these other old movie franchises are just doing Zoom chats where they're reuniting. I would have much preferred had they done a reunited apart with the Bill and the Ted's Bill and Ted
1: cast. cast instead of like making a it would have been a lot movie. cheaper and
0: a lot more entertaining.
1: Whenever you keep track of movies like we do, there are certain directors, studios, or franchises that build up our expectations only to sometimes let them down, right? The franchise that did that to you this past year was Bill & Ted. The studio that disappointed me was Pixar, obviously not because of Soul, which was my number one movie. But I hoped that Onward would be much better than I thought that it was. I was pretty disappointed by Onward. And also... A director that I'm always excited for, but in recent memory have been more disappointed by than surprised by, is Christopher Nolan and the the movie that we got in Tenet, especially when it was supposed to be recapturing movies, getting back into the cinema, into the theater for the first time in so long, and then that's the sound mess that we got. If I was going to be back in a theater, I wanted to get the full theater experience, and that's what Nolan tried to do, and I think that he failed.
0: So I think there's something to be said about making audiences think and, you know, requiring repeat viewing, which is something that he's done quite well in the past, right?
1: Much better than he
0: did in Tenet. In Tenet, he he went way off the deep end with making it confusing, unintelligible as far as the sound and dialogue was concerned, because the music mixing was just Awful. So unbalanced that you can't hear half of what's being said. The accents don't help. And just the, the
1: masks don't help. Yeah, the, it's it's
0: very difficult. It's like uh, the the complaint that people had about Bane in The Dark Knight Rises times 10.
1: The complaint that I was already dealing with, with having to wear a mask going to a fast food place and having a giant pane of glass in between or plex, plexiglass in between me and the person that was trying to talk to me. I then had to live in the theater when I couldn't understand these people either. Like, I already have some hearing problems. And uh, Chris Nolan didn't help me.
0: Yeah. Now it comes time. Those are the movies that disappointed us. But there are some movies that were even worse than that, that we that we have to share because, you know, we as we said earlier, Part of life is experiencing the good and the bad. And you need all of that to have this rich, beautiful experience. So I guess in a way, there's something beautiful about these movies. Right, Cole? Well. Because they help us appreciate the really good experiences we've had watching movies.
1: I suppose. If you have a top five, <laughs> you have a bottom five. And that's where these movies come in.
0: So I am going to I'm going to put these in order of release date. Um, the first one being Doolittle, which is one that oh, came yeah. out right at the very beginning of the, movie, uh, of the movie year.
1: There was so much hope for the year back then.
0: But I didn't have a lot of hope for this movie. Why? I just knew it was going to be a movie that I could just recline, eat popcorn, and have a little outing with my kids. And on, in that regard, I got exactly what I was expecting. The movie is a big jumbled mess with talking animals. And really the first movie that Robert Downey chose to do Outside of the Marvel universe. Anyway, Doolittle would certainly be on my list, followed by one you've already mentioned, Cole, Trolls World Tour. Oh! With how big of a surprise the original Trolls was to me, I was it was a big letdown for me. No,
1: sure. Jeff and I have seen, like, less movies than we usually do because they were just less big movies released than usual in this past year, but to be in your bottom five.
0: Yeah, but there is something to be said about Trolls World Tour, one of the most successful movies of the year, On Demand, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, they said that it made more money On Demand than the first movie made in its entire run, and in just a five-week period, mind you. Uh, Another movie I saw on Netflix I had high hopes for because... I like Charlie Kaufman and some of the works that he's done. Oh, goodness. And uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things was such a frustrating movie watching experience for me. Kind of akin to watching Tenet because you're just trying to piece together what you're watching. And it's not what you were hoping or expecting it to be. And It was
1: everything I thought of. Maybe I've seen more Charlie Kaufman movies, so I understood
0: it's a downer of a movie, and you're just – you're sitting there in frustration the entire time, just basically yelling at the screen. Something happened or what is – what? Huh? You're you're just – all sorts of emotions are for going on. For the record,
1: Jeff was disappointed that a movie called I'm Thinking of Ending Things was a downer <laughs> of a movie. <laughs> exactly. For clarity's sake. Exactly, right? It was good. That was a well-made movie. It's not going to be everyone's cup of – like – I mean, I, you can say this about some things, but especially Charlie Kaufman, it is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. No, but no. if it's yours, it was a really, really good
0: movie. Godmothered would also make my list. Now, that this, one's just kind of a this movie. Was a, That's no one's cup of tea. This was a Disney Plus original movie. You could tell it was not going to be great when you saw that they wrapped shooting in January, and then the movie was out in November, right? So not a lot of time was taken there. Really, it's just a. Uh, it's just an enchanted wannabe Nothing really original here and nothing really humorous or enjoyable from my perspective. The
1: best news we got out of Disney about that movie was a week later they had their investors meeting and announced we're actually getting a sequel to Enchanted. There you go. We don't have to just sit with this as the last kind of Enchanted thing on our minds. But
0: if I had to choose the best of the least, if that makes sense. The least of the least. The least of the least. The bottom. But I want to put a positive spin on it. It would be a movie called... Two Hearts, which was released theatrically, but uh, you're gonna, again, you're gonna be scratching your head, knowing exactly where the movie's going the entire time, scratching your head at the marketing that there's some big mystery at the heart of this film. And it's really these two uh, young men in different time periods that are having some health issues. And, you know, it's no surprise what's gonna happen and i at in the end i had no idea why why it was called two hearts because the organs that are in question are not hearts they're a different organ and it uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me
1: i i was pleasantly surprised and and it reached my top 5 when i saw the vast of night a pg13 horror thriller right and but what inevitably happens every year as i try to find one of those to talk about on this show is i run into a lot of not good pg-13 horror and the turning was the least of the least for it for me especially after for this show us like reading the book that it was supposedly based on the turn of the screw uh, the turning was at the bottom of my list and so (laughs) a couple others from the bottom that i saw in the past year were unhinged another you know let's get back into the movie theater And this one just did not get the time and the place. Oh, no. It got us back into the theater, but it was not the right movie to get us back there. It was just objectively bad, but also just the timing and the subject matter of this guy that's angry at the world when we're all supposed to be trying to come together a little bit more was just not right for the time. I also had a Netflix streaming movie where I liked the first one okay, but The Kissing Booth Two hmm. was certainly too long and just not, not quite all there. I'm perfectly fine sitting down and watching a dumb teenage romance. I watched the first one and I've watched, you know, P- to all the boys I loved before and its sequel. And the, but but the Kissing Booth two on Netflix didn't exactly do that for me. Scoob. Oof was supposedly, fo- they were starting their own little cinematic universe of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, and I loved all of those when I was growing up, so this this is a movie that seemed like if anyone was gonna like it, it was going to be me, who watched a lot of Scooby-Doo, and who loved seeing Captain Caveman, and, and references to the Grape Ape in the post-credits, and... And the movie that you actually made, just like The Mummy with Tom Cruise, wasn't good enough to hold down all mm. of this. But at the bottom of the bottom of my list of the year, based on a book that I enjoy, Artemis Fowl oh, was no. just as bad as movies have gotten in years.
0: Oh, that's disappointing because that is one that the scheduled date was all over the place even before covid
1: disney inherited it from fox which just was not a good sign to start and things went downhill from there
0: oh no well cole like i said there's a there's an element of beauty in these films because they help us to appreciate the good movie experiences that we've had and uh i'm sure cole if you review that list you just shared and then go back and watch eurovision Again, you would appreciate it even more than you did the first time,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, it's better than the worst (laughs) movies of the year. I can say that about it.
0: Well, we've had an enjoyable time talking about the year in question, the year that shall not be named. But uh, it is time to move on to this next year. And here's hoping that we'll have even better movie going experiences in 2021. Cole, when we return, I understand you've got a movie that you'd like to talk about for our Panning for Good segment. That's all up next on Screen Cleaning. We want to know everything about the man we work for. The man? Oh, 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 no. This isn't about the father. This is about the son. Artemis Fowl. There's good in them dire hills!
1: I see it through the years, panning for good tries to do two things. We try to pan, look a little bit deeper to find something that not everyone is talking about, and we want the story to be genuinely about something that's good, right? You can pan for a lot of things, but if people aren't talking about it, sometimes it's because it's not that good or not about good things. And for the year that now has passed, there was a documentary that came out that that when I watched it, available on Amazon Prime for anyone to see, and and I, I logged it on the app Letterboxd, only 10 other people had said that they have seen <laughs> this movie. So wow. I, I assume it's a little under the radar. And also the whole point of the movie was to tell stories that are uplifting and about good people doing good around the world. It's called The Antidote. And it's, it's a very simple documentary format where they they pick places in America, right? It's, it's not like the greatest, most imaginative documentary that's ever been compiled, but I loved just a very simple, different stories of different people struggling with different things across this country that we call our own in a time where we want people to come together, seeing people come together and do good things. You have stories... In Alaska, of a a few immigrants that were introduced into their society, and and that the community came together to make them a part of their group there in that town. Uh, Stories of high school teachers teaching of different people in different times, trying to get students to branch outside of what they normally come across. The antidote is again available on Amazon Prime. It's about good, and it was a pretty good documentary. I. I don't you know we, we talk about documentaries a few times um, I have it's been a while since I've seen a documentary that I would, I would call amazing documentaries aren't generally my thing this one was perfectly fine and certainly uplifting
0: perfectly fine and certainly uplifting that's awesome. Well, Amazon Prime. I got to check that out. I have a Amazon Prime and I like movies that make me feel good about myself.
1: And that's where the movies have kind of been this year. Netflix is going to dominate the Oscars. Amazon Prime has some great ones and Hulu and Disney Plus and... We're in a new world, and now that 2021 has started, we'll see how HBO Max goes forward, and Screen Cleaning will be with you to cover this fun upcoming year, too.
0: I think we did it, Cole. I think we did the entire episode without mentioning the year in question, so
1: little pat on our backs. So don't ruin it now. Yes. This was our last year in review on Screen Cleaning. Or
0: the year that shall not be named in review. And we have so many great shows coming up in 2021. We're excited to invite you along for the journey and to help you focus on the good in entertainment. That's what we try to do here on Screen Cleaning. And we'll be back next week to do the very same thing. I'm Jeff Simpson.
1: And I'm Cole Wissinger.
0: We'll see you then.